Father, we, we've already prayed in that hymn that you would have your way in our lives. We recognize that that is a humbling thing to recognize that we are the clay and you are the potter and that you have the right to ask us to do with our lives what would fulfill your good purposes. Father, we ask that by your spirit we would not be unwieldy, but we would be those who want to be shaped by you. Help us to see your wonderful truth. Hear your voice this day and give us hearts that want to obey you. We ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, tomorrow morning, the alarm's going off. I don't know what time the alarm goes off for you, but it's going to go off again. And I wonder what your waking thought will be as the alarm goes off. Uh, whether you'll be thinking, oh, fantastic, another week of work. I'm so fulfilled. I love it. I can't wait. Or whether you're going to be thinking, oh, I can't believe it's Monday. How come the weekend goes quicker? What is it? I wonder what is it going through your mind? I wonder, is your workplace an easy or a difficult place to be a Christian? Uh, John just felt sick about going back to work on a Monday. There were a number of older men who were senior to him in his organization, and they had just developed this culture of bullying, intimidation, and they were beginning to pick on John. And he just felt sick about the whole thought of having to go in for another week of sort of emotional abuse. Fiona was taking more and more sick days off because the way her boss was treating her was just making her feel sick. He just kept piling more work onto her and was just critical of everything she did. It felt as if he was just trying to trip her up and uh, it was just tearing her apart. Now I've changed the names, but those are real situations. Uh, does knowing and believing the gospel have anything to say for um, John, for Fiona, for you and me? Well, please open your Bibles to First Peter. First Peter chapter 2. This is where we've got up to in our studies. And you'll find that on page 1,218 in the church Bibles, a red Bible, which hopefully should be around if you don't have one for yourself. Page 1218. I'm going to read from verse 13 down to verse 25. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority. Ooh, that was last week. Let's do it from verse 18, shall we? No, verse 13 is good. Let's do it. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. 
Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you are like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is God's word. Let's keep your Bibles open. We're just going to work through this. Uh, we, we studied last week what was the, the best response to a hostile Christian culture. Uh, how do you respond to those who say uh, up to no good? Well, verse 15 told us, the best approach is to do good, for it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the talk of ignorant, uh, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Uh, we are to be those who uphold good moral standards in our own conduct in the world, but also to be those who are engaged in acts of kindness that promote the welfare uh, of others in our community. And so, for example, you'll see in your bulletin today uh, that Charlotte Chapel members are involved with the care van, and there's opportunities to get involved with that, which uh, goes out and it uh, provides soup to homeless people uh, in the city. Over the winter months, uh, Charlotte Chapel will be one of those churches, along with other in the city, that will be opening up their building to the homeless so they'll have somewhere warm to sleep at night. And a number of fellowship groups are involved with uh, linking up with uh, Bethany, who come along and offer the expertise and helping to run that, provide a meal and provide somewhere warmer to sleep when the nights are freezing out there. Others have been involved in the ministry of Switch, which is sort of uh, run by Sarah Prime as they do sort of youth outreach work in Grace Mount and Birdie House and areas like that. Others run SU groups uh, in their local schools. Uh, we now have free English, English language classes that happen on Thursday nights as part of our IF program. Through our partnership with 20 Schemes, uh, we are having the joy of seeing people who, whose lives have been kind of uh, crime-ridden as they've uh, paid their drug and alcohol addiction, uh, them getting saved and their lives being turned around and, and getting jobs where they pay tax and, and getting involved in serving the community. And so in lots of ways like this, uh, Christians down through the ages have been those who've engaged in good. And that's the best way to silence those who say we're up to no good, just to, uh, to shut their mouths uh, most positively by just showing that actually that's not the case. Uh, a society that has Christians in it is a blessed society. These are great citizens to have. Now, we should see that doing good is not merely um, in those areas of submitting to government authorities that we considered last week, to 
uh, those who are in charge. But also doing good is about how we engage in the workplace. And that's that's what verses 18 to 25 is about. Verse 18, slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Now, we've obviously got to understand this in the first century context of the Roman Empire. Uh, Slavery was banned in our country uh, a long time ago because of the work of Christian reformers like uh, William Wilberforce. And it's very hard for us today to read of slavery without thinking of the 18th, 19th century uh, experience of uh, black people in plantations in the Caribbean and in North America. But actually, slavery in the first century was quite different to the 18th, 19th century. It was uh, no less wrong. I think by definition, slavery is wrong. But it was of a different order. In the first century, they reckon about a quarter of the Roman Empire were slaves. Uh, Slavery was the way that you had a guaranteed place to live and have food on the table and have some sort of job security. Uh, Slaves didn't just work in the fields. They, uh, they uh, They did household tasks. They were household managers. They worked as accountants, tutors, personal secretaries, sea captains, and even physicians. Uh, slaves in the, in the Roman Empire weren't the lowest rung on the ladder. Um, you, you, you could be at a lower level, which was where you roamed the streets uh, looking for work, which was not guaranteed, without any social benefits at all. In some ways, the slaves were better off. They had guaranteed uh, food on the table and shelter. Not infrequently, people sold themselves into slavery in order to pay off debts, to escape poverty, actually to begin to climb up the social ladder in the Roman Empire. And people could actually buy their way out of slavery. And most people anticipated that they could be free by the age of 30. Now the reason of saying this is not to say, hey, how great the Roman Empire was, let's go back to the good old days. No, it was wrong. It was wrong. But it is to say that it was a different sort of thing that sometimes is in our minds. Um, the point is that in, in, in sort of slightly more subtle ways, uh, we have similar sorts of slavery in the UK today, don't we? Um, Who goes to work because they really love it? Um, The average household uh, debt in the UK, excluding mortgages, the average household debt, excluding mortgages, was was over £6,000. And if you're in that situation, you don't go to work because you love it. You go to work because you've got to pay off your debts. You're indebted. And that's a slavery of sorts. And so the commands that we have here, uh, I think, well, obviously not a direct correspondence to modern-day employment, um, does have some relevance for us today as we think about the employee's relationship to the employer. Now, Peter is addressing those who had no rights in the workplace. And uh, I want to say right up front that uh, they had no power, they had no choice. Um, Slaves were treated just as objects. They were the possessions of their master. The master could do with them whatever he wanted and there would be no criminal proceedings because they had no rights. Uh, And so here he's teaching in the first century how slaves who are Christians should relate to their masters in that sort of environment. Now, thankfully, today we do have rights. Uh, thankfully, as Christians, we, 
we do have work rights and uh, you have the right to withdraw your employment and so forth. And, 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 and so I think Christians should avail themselves of those legitimate rights because we're not slaves. But let's see what we can learn from God's words, the principles that we should apply to Christians in the workplace. So how should slaves relate to their master? Well, verse 18, they should be subject to them. They should submit themselves. And that's commanded to whether they've got a great master or a crooked master. And that Christian submission should be with, with all respect, it says there, verse 18. Now, if that was true for them, it should also be true for us who have a choice whether to enter into the workplace or a particular workplace. As for those, uh, as those who fear God, we are called to respect uh, everyone around us, but we should supposed to respect those who are in authority over us, including our employers. Do the job you're supposed to do in a way that fully acknowledges their authority and their right to tell you what you should be doing. Now, just like uh, submitting to the government, uh, there was an important caveat, verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority. So we're to submit to the government in all ways that are moral and ethical. In the same way, we're to submit to our employers in all ways that are moral and ethical because we fear God. We want to uh, show our fear of God by submitting ourselves to those who are our bosses, but only in ways that are, are good, morally right. Because of our fear of God, that'll keep us from doing things that are unethical, that are, that are wrong, that are evil, even if your boss tells you to do it. You know, even our society today recognizes this, doesn't it? That um, the response, I was only following orders, is not a valid um, defense for evil acts. Now, it's one thing to submit to a good and gentle employer, but quite another to an unjust one, isn't it? whether you've had that experience I know some of you have you've talked to me about it but Peter inspired by the spirit of God is commanding Christian slaves to submit equally to the harsh ones as to the good ones now why? why should they do it? and I think these reasons are powerful reasons that would shape our attitude to the workplace as well three reasons firstly for this is a gracious thing look at verse 19 for it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Now the NIV has translated the word commendable. Um, the underlying word is the word grace. This is a grace thing. This is a, a gracious thing. What is a gracious thing? Is it a gracious thing to take a beating for doing something wrong? No. No, if you, you've done something wrong uh, and there's punishment, well, that's a natural consequence. Uh, take the consequences of your actions and learn lessons and move on. Is it a gracious thing to take a beating for doing good? No. No, this is not about whether you're a tough, stoical, sort of butch sort of person who can take a beating just because you're strong. It, that's not what the gracious thing is. What is it? Have a look at it again. 
It is a gracious thing, it's a commendable thing, when we endure the mental anguish of unjust suffering because you are conscious of God. Because you are consciously depending upon God. That is a grace thing. That you can endure working for an unjust boss and continue to be subject to them because your eyes are ultimately not looking to them. Your eyes are looking to God. And if you're in a painful, difficult workplace and it's a situation that you can't get yourself out of anytime soon, let me tell you, your good behavior in those trying circumstances because you're trusting in God is an evidence that God's grace is upon you. And my illustration of that comes from Genesis chapter 39 from the story of Joseph that was read to us earlier. Uh, here was someone who um, always did good for his masters. Uh, he, you know, despite the fact he was sold into slavery by his brothers. All the injustice of that. And uh, not only was he dealt harshly with once being sold into slavery and being Potiphar's house, even though he was completely righteous, he had to suffer unjustly again the false accusations of rape, which threw him into prison. And yet he still did not commit injustice. Uh, the text tells us that God's grace was upon his life. It says it a number of ways, this phrase, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor and gave him success in whatever he did. So I don't know what your work context is like right now. And maybe there are people here today, and I wouldn't be surprised to experiencing great anguish at the thought of going back to the workplace. Maybe you have endured opposition because of your stand for Christ. And what I want to say to you today is that God sees your situation as he saw Joseph's situation and his grace and his favor is upon you. Now this is so counter the way that we view this. In natural man religion, in natural man-made religion, uh, we have this view. If if uh, life is going great, uh, if, if things are prospering, then God is blessing me. And if things are terrible, if I, I'm, I'm going through a really rough time, uh, God is cursing me. This is really what's behind a lot of the false teaching of the prosperity gospel, isn't it? That, that, that this false view that, um, uh, that if, if you, you're... You really are being blessed by God if, you're, if your bank balance is growing and growing and you never get sick. Well, that's, that's just absolute baloney. And we see it right here. Peter says to these uh, Christian slaves, even though they might be experiencing harsh beating, he's saying, look, if you're doing that with your eyes upon God, God's grace is upon you. If you continue by doing good in that situation. That is evidence of God's grace and favor, his blessing. Second reason. Um, for to this you were called, verse 21. Um, you know, if you're a Christian, someone who's put their trust uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ, the life of, uh, of doing good and submission to authorities, even when enduring unjust suffering, is actually the life that God has called us to live. This is the sort of 
alien submission that's crazy to the world around us, to an unbelieving world, but it is not crazy to those who've been called to follow the example of Christ. Look at verse 21. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. The word example there is a, is a wonderful word in the original language, and it's got the idea of how um, children used to learn to write, uh, where you'd have some letters on a page, and you would trace your finger over them, you know, like just having tracing paper down. You know, there's the alphabet, and you learn to, to follow the alphabet by, look, there's an A, you put tracing paper over it, and you first you go, A. Um, and this is what he's saying. He's not saying that Jesus is just one of a series of examples. He's saying it's the example to follow. I don't know whether you've ever been in a kind of a snowstorm where there's been thick snow. I used to live out in Spokane, Washington State, and we used to get a lot of snow. And uh, one of the great things, oh, it's, it's a tough thing walking, walking through heavy snow, but one of the great things if someone's gone ahead of you, because you just plant your feet in the footsteps in front of you. Even if it's a blizzard condition, you can see the next footstep. You put your foot in there, it's easier to walk, and you know if you keep doing that, you'll, 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 you'll be right behind them. Well, for three years, Peter had literally followed Jesus in exactly that way, watching his life and his example, following in his footsteps. And, and Peter says, and this is what you are to do as well if you're a Christian. Jesus Christ suffered for you, he says, as an example of suffering that we are called to imitate. Now, next week, we're going to come back at this section and think uh, of, of, of how... Uh, this suffering is totally unique and a sin-bearing death that no one could copy. We're going to come back at this passage as we think about the wounds that heal. But this week, I want to look at this text and see how it works in its context that actually it's the example of Christ who suffered unjustly and it's how he did that. That's the way that we are to follow in his footsteps. Now, what is, what is it that we're supposed to imitate? We'll look at verse 22. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. We're coming to the table this morning and remembering afresh what Christ did for us and his suffering on the cross. And from time to time, we need to keep going back and reading the accounts to keep it vivid and fresh in our minds, to consider what Christ went through, the way that he endured unjust trials, uncalled for beatings. They spat upon him. They mocked him. They crucified him. Jesus did not retaliate with any sinful speech. He didn't swear at them. He didn't threaten them. He didn't verbally abuse them. Even as he was lifted up, bloodied and torn and naked on a cross as an object of humiliation, of horror, there was no deceit in his speech, Peter says. In fact, what were the words from the cross? Well, here was one thing he said from the cross. Father, forgive them. 
but they don't know what they're doing. How did Jesus endure such unjust suffering? Well, he, he was mindful of his heavenly Father. He entrusted himself to his heavenly Father. Incredibly, he even entrusted those who were bringing their, this affliction upon them. He, he asked that the Lord would forgive them. He was bringing that about in his very death upon the cross. How is it that we can cope with mental anguish and, and the sorrow of people slandering us and treating us unjustly? It is by following the example of Christ, by continually coming to him in prayer, by handing over to him the responsibility to bring justice into this situation. So what's eating you up right now? I wonder what, what person or situation just makes you feel so angry because of the way you've been treated. I mean, there's probably, you know, if, if that's going on for you now, there's probably a person in your, in your mind. Someone for whom you start thinking dark thoughts towards. Someone that you've been playing little scenarios out of how they could get tripped up and fall and you'd be really happy about that ways you could get payback what should you do in that situation well you must bring that person before the Lord entrust your reputation to him entrust the outcome of your situation to him entrust yourself to him your, your anxious mind, your troubled soul entrust your cause to the Lord who is the just judge this is not easy is it but this is exactly what Peter is saying to these slaves who had no recourse to justice. God is the just God. You entrust yourself into his hands. And, and Peter tells us more than just about our calling. It's also um, to recognize that what Christ's death was achieving was to make us spiritually healthy people. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Why? Why did he do that? So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Do you see that the cross of Christ is not merely to forgive past sins. It is to enable you to live a life now of righteousness this is not just a, a wipe the slate clean and I can keep doing all the abusive sinful things I want to do no, this, this death of Christ has come not to just simply um, bring forgiveness but to give us freedom from this sort of sick way of life where we did abuse people with our speech where we were brutal and harsh and deceitful For the Christian, uh, swearing, abusive words, uh, stuff like that is, is all part of the sickness of sin. Is evidence of a diseased soul. Christ died upon the cross so that we might die to that 
way of responding and living. And now to live differently. So that when we are reviled, we bless. When, when abuse comes at, at, at us, we don't come back at them, but we find ways to do others good. That is the righteousness that, that Christ died for. We don't have to keep following the old addicted ways to sin. The wounds of Jesus bring healing. And if that reason was not enough, he strengthens this command to submission with a third reason in verse 25. For Christ cares for our soul. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Who's looking out for you? Who's looking out? Who's got your back? Who cares about you? Well, if there's no God then there's no ultimate justice in the world, then really your only option is to get as much power as you can and hit back with as much venom and revenge at your disposal because that's the only way you're going to get any sort of recourse to justice. If there's no God, we need to take revenge into our own hands, justice into our own hands. If someone hits us, we hit them back harder. We make people pay so they don't treat us nastily again. That's how we live if there's no God. Or another response is fatalism, just with a smile. Let's just amuse ourselves and uh, just watch uh, comedy shows for laughs. Woody Allen just is eaten up by this whole thing. And I came across this Woody Allen quote, which is the next slide. Mankind faces a crossroads. One path leads to despair and utter hopelessness. The other to total extinction. Let us pray we have the wisdom to choose correctly. I speak, by the way, not with any sense of futility, but with a panicky conviction of the absolute meaninglessness of existence, which could easily be interpreted as pessimism. It is not. It is merely a healthy concern for the predicament of modern man. Well, I think that's kind of a, a comic attempt of a lost soul, of coping with reality, isn't it? That's what you say if you're a lost sheep straying from the shepherd. But the Christian is one who knows that there's a shepherd who's not happy that there's 99 sheep in the fold. There is a shepherd who goes off looking for the one scruffy sheep that is lost and far from him. I don't know, is the scruffy sheep in today? Maybe there's a few. And there is a savior who wants to bring you home. We're not merely talking about one who suffered and died and that was his. He was raised from the dead. And he is the shepherd and overseer of the souls of all those who put their trust in him. Here is the, the wonderful thing that can sustain people in unjust suffering and difficult times. Uh, my boss, the person above me who's giving me this hard time, is not the ultimate boss. There is a shepherd and overseer of my souls who has me in his grip and has me for all eternity. And my soul is safe with him. So knowing such things, we can be those who submit to earthly authorities. Submit to even bosses who are a bit of a nightmare. And you know what? Because it's the 21st century, 
you can pray for another job as well. But may the Lord give us grace to live even in difficult places for his glory because we are conscious of him. Let's pray.